0: Welcome to Beyond the Bullet Points, a podcast from Stoddard's Ranging Guns, where Ken Bay explores the personalities, histories, and drive behind Stoddard's brands and the organizations it supports.
1: It's 3 a.m. and someone is breaking into your home. You hear the window glass shatter and you grab your gun. You shoot the intruder and defend your home and your family. Or you are the victim of a carjacking where someone is forcibly trying to steal your car with your family in it. You have a gun in the car and you shoot the bad guy to defend yourself and your family. What happens next? If you are a member of U.S. Law Shield, even before you dial 911, you are likely to dial the number on the back of your Law Shield card, and you're going to reach Matt Kilgo. Matt is a Georgia lawyer whose specialty is defending Law Shield members who use a firearm or any other weapon to defend themselves. Uh, I'm here with Matt Kilgo. Uh, tell me a little bit about your,
0: your background. Well, hello, Ken. Thanks for having me here. I am an attorney. This is my 19th year of practice. I started as a prosecutor prosecuted in Cherokee County, city of Atlanta. Took some time off, went to the Marine Corps for a little while, got hurt, came home, went back to prosecuting, was in the DA's office in Fulton County, uh, chased down counterfeiters for a few years for the recording industry, and for the past decade, I've been a criminal defense attorney. Interesting. I didn't know about the Marine Corps. Well, I... Long story, but I went into officer candidate school. Didn't tell my family. And September 11th, 2001, I got the call in between the two towers. So I had to call my family, say A, I'm safe. B, I've joined the Marine Corps. I went off to can- uh, officer candidate school and got injured in my feet and my head, and they recycled me. And then I got married. So it was my own kind of warfare. So it, interesting. <laughs> Interesting. So, you also work with Law
1: Shield. T- I tell me what Law Shield is. We're going to talk a little bit more about Law Shield in a few minutes, but give me kind of the,
0: the brief um, description of what Law Shield is. For the better part of five years now, I've worked as the independent program attorney for U.S. Law Shield in Georgia. U.S. Law Shield is a legal defense program. It was begun in Texas about eight years ago by some attorneys who felt the need to assist individuals who were law abiding. Safety-conscious gun owners who found themselves in a position where they had to protect themselves or their family—it's now grown into a multi-state. I think they're in 37 to 40 states, approximately 400,000 members. We have a little over 6,500 members now in Georgia, and Law Shield protects. It's an—it's an insurance. Well, I can't say it's insurance. It's not insurance in Georgia. It's a legal defense program. Some states they call it insurance, in Georgia they do not. But it provides protection for gun owners by providing them with an attorney, and that's me. So, Stoddard's offers Law Shield to its customers. How is Law Shield different from the other concepts that are out there? Well, I don't know much about the others. My understanding of Law Shield's practice is that there are no caps on what they provide for attorneys, they provide attorney's fees. In some states, they're able to provide bond and expert witness fees. In Georgia, they can't do that. But what LawShield does is pay my fees for their members. I have a legal relationship with each one of LawShield's members here in Georgia. And one of the significant, one of the key aspects of LawShield is that they provide everyone with access to the attorney. They provide them with a card that has two telephone numbers. One telephone number calls the everyday number. You have a question when you're at lunch with friends about carrying a gun to a movie theater, for instance. You call the number, they'll connect you with me. If I'm in court, I'll call you back. The second number is an emergency number. It's a 24-hour number that rings, believe it or not, directly to my cell phone. You call that number if it's at 8 o'clock in the morning, if it's at 3 o'clock in the morning, Christmas Eve morning, which happened this past year. That rings directly to my cell phone, and I put on my shoes, and I come to where you are. Now, I'm an Atlanta lawyer. I'm based in Marietta. If I can't get to Savannah immediately, that's okay. got lawyers in Savannah who can help me. Lawyers in Augusta who can help me, lawyers in Middle Georgia who can help me. So I've built over the years a relationship with a network of attorneys who can assist and, and make sure that we can provide the proper assistance to law school members. It's estimated that more than half the households in Georgia
1: have a firearm in them. Uh, as, a, as a general rule, uh, it's illegal to shoot someone, uh, but of course, there are exceptions. Um, can you explain the concept of, of when you are legally permitted to use deadly force?
0: Let, let's start with what deadly force is. Absolutely. Well, Georgia defines deadly force as uh, any force or ability to, to protect yourself. Well, that's, that's more along the lines of, of the use of force. Uh, deadly force is that force intended or likely to cause death or great bodily harm. The use of a firearm, an edged weapon metal pipe, baseball bat, folding chair, anything that you can put your hands on. There are cases, case law in Georgia, that indicates that anything can be considered a deadly weapon. This microphone that we're using, for instance, if I hit you in the head with it hard enough, it's a deadly weapon. So deadly force is that force intended or likely to cause death or great bodily harm. And Georgia law will allow anyone to protect anyone else. When deadly force is threatened or imminent bodily harm is threatened or the commission of what is called a forcible felony is imminent, uh, meaning murder, rape, armed robbery, aggravated assault, any type of felony that has an element of deadly force. So the law in Georgia allows you to protect yourself and any other person by the use of deadly force if you perceive that you must act to prevent death or great bodily harm.
1: So this is self-defense and
0: self-defense
1: and defense of others. Um, so let's run through some examples. Uh, someone's assaulting you. Mm-hmm. Um, do you have the right to use a, a firearm
0: or other weapon? Well, it depends on the type of assault. You know that old saying, you can't bring a gun to a knife fight. Technically, I think as, as an attorney yourself, you'd probably agree with me that if someone assaults you with a knife, it's okay to use a firearm to protect yourself because that's aggravated assault. That's assault with a deadly weapon. If, however, someone has merely slapped you or... Uh, pushed you provocatively, you can't just respond with the use of deadly force. There has to be some measure of force that's in retaliation to the force that you're protecting from. Now, there are some specific situations in your home, in your car, in your place of business where Georgia law definitively says, look, somebody enters your home, you perceive that there's a danger, you're justified in using deadly force. Otherwise, There has to be some element of of tit-for-tat, some uh, measured response to the the force that you perceive to be used against you. So robberies, uh, uh, kidnappings. Robberies and kidnappings, both. Robbery by sudden snatch or what we call armed robbery, uh, the use of a firearm or any other type of weapon. To deprive someone of their belongings, that's armed robbery. You can protect yourself by deadly force because armed robbery is a forcible felony, and the law says you can use deadly force to prevent the commission of a forcible felony. So go into a bit more detail for me. Assume
1: you're walking through a parking lot and someone is grabbing your purse. Um, Are you allowed to respond with deadly force in that situation?
0: That would be considered robbery by sudden snatch.
1: When a woman has her purse snatched off her shoulder, walking down a street or in a parking lot, this is robbery by sudden snatching. It is considered a felony, and while all cases depend on the specific facts, with the appropriate force by the thief, according to Matt, it can be considered a forcible felony, justifying the use
0: of deadly force. Someone tries to snatch your purse, I think... The laws on your side in that situation to use to to use whatever force you can available to protect yourself,
1: e- even if the bad person uh, doesn't have a gun. I think so. Yeah.
0: Okay. Absolutely. What about carjackings? Carjackings? Yes. Uh, the typical example that I often give in the seminars, and I've taught hundreds of these seminars now. You're driving down the road, your family's in the car, you're going to see the latest Marvel movie. You stop at a red light. fella jumps out of the bushes with a knife. Now, he opens your car door. That's entering an automobile, and and that's a felony, but it's not a forcible felony. But then he grabs you by the shirt and pulls you out. He's used force to move you without your authority. Technically, he's kidnapped you. That's a forcible felony. He's assaulted you with the intent to rob you. That's aggravated assault. He's assaulted you with a deadly weapon that's aggravated assault. So that's three forcible felonies just against you, maybe three three or four more against your wife, husband, boyfriend, girlfriend, if you have children in the car. If you have the ability to prevent those forcible felonies from occurring, you're justified under Georgia law by using deadly force. The the distinction comes, let's say he piles you all all up on the corner and then he drives away. Well, if you shoot into the car as it's driving away, it becomes much more problematic. You failed to prevent the commission of those forcible felonies, and now it's a theft. And theft is not a forcible felony. If you shoot into the car and you miss and hit a, hit a bystander, that's a homicide, and you could be liable for that.
1: So bad guy grabs your, your car handle um, and, uh, and does get out of the car. He doesn't actually touch you.
0: you are you preventing a felony in that situation? Is that I believe that you would be. Now, it would be up to you if you were charged with a crime to show to the judge that sufficient facts existed to find that you had to use deadly force, and that's one of the the legal problems that we get into with the use of force. When we walk into a courtroom and we're accused of a crime, we don't have to say anything at all. We never have a burden to produce evidence. But if we intend on using the justification of the use of deadly force, we have to provide sufficient evidence to the judge to show the judge that we're immune from prosecution, that we were justified in the use of deadly force, at which point you would have to testify. "Fella had a knife, opened up my car door. Well, what did he say to you? Well, he didn't have to say anything. He was reaching for me, and I knew he wanted my car or my life And so I had to protect myself. The use of deadly force, the justification that resides there, is great for us because it gives us peace of mind in protecting ourselves. But it also means that if we do that, we have to protect ourselves after we've protected ourselves. Matt
1: makes it clear that even if you are justified in using deadly force, doing so will not necessarily prevent you from having to stand trial to establish your innocence.
0: Because there are things we have to do in the legal realm to ensure that we're fully afforded those, that protection. So let's assume – let's take a step back and s- assume that someone's
1: breaking into your car. You see them across the parking lot or, or at a gas station. Uh, you've run in to, to buy some water and uh, somebody is, is, is about to steal your
0: car. Theft, different set of circumstances? That, I, that my friend, would be a very gray area. I can tell you that, and this is what I tell the seminars that I teach, whether you are charged or convicted of of any type of homicide, of voluntary manslaughter, or even potentially murder in that context could depend on the location where you used force, you know, Ackworth versus Decatur. It depends on the district attorney, the police officers who investigate, the statements that you make to police officers, the jury that you pick. That is probably one of the most great areas that we address in the seminars that we teach here at Stoddard's and and all over metro Atlanta and even in Georgia is there's no bright line rule about what your rights are there. Your car is considered your habitation just like your home, and the law allows you to protect your habitation from a felony. But at the same time, if there's no one inside the vehicle and there's no real threat to life other than just to property – Judges, prosecutors, and juries take a dim view of taking another person's life over a piece of property, and that's that gray area where we often find that people can be charged. Arson, forcible felony. Protection of another person's property is a more gray area, but there does exist in the law uh, the ability to use deadly force to protect your own property and to, to protect another person's property. You can use deadly force to protect your own property. And when we say property, we're not talking about the home. We're not talking about your car. Those places are considered your habitation. What we're talking about is real property, not your home itself, but the land that your home rests upon. Many people in Atlanta have rental property. I, I have a rental condo in Midtown. Um, I don't live there, but I own it. I can still protect it because it's mine, but in order to protect your real property, there has to be some element of uh, a forcible felony, just like we talked about before. Let's say you have a shed in your backyard, and that's where you keep your lawnmower. Late at night, you're watching Conan. You hear her rattling around in the shed. You stand up. You think maybe there's a raccoon in the shed. Well, raccoons don't carry flashlights. So you go outside to check, and there's a fella in your shed trying to get away with your lawnmower, your riding lawnmower. Well, unless there's a commission of the forcible felony, you can't take deadly force to protect yourself or your property. But let's say he gets off the riding lawnmower and picks up a shovel and attempts to do away with you. Well, now the the facts have changed. So everything depends on the facts. Uh, I, I think in that scenario, protection of property, is, We, is we, we're, you were asking about protection of someone else's property. Specifically, the law says that you have to have some connection to the property, some duty to protect it, a fiduciary duty, or you've signed a contract with your neighbor that says for X amount of dollars, you'll check in on their property. Uh, there has to be a forcible felony. What I explain to people is there's a principled perspective and a practical perspective. From the principled perspective, you don't want someone to take what belongs to you or to someone you know or love. From a practical perspective, those are things. And if you interact with someone else wrongly, perhaps, to protect a thing, you could lose more than, than, than just a moment's sleep. You could lose your liberty. So from a practical perspective, call the police. Let the police do their job. Protect yourself first, and if you find yourself in a situation where you have to use deadly force to protect yourself, you're on a much firmer legal footing, I think.
1: Explain the Castle Doctrine. I know we've been talking about homes and, and real mm-hmm. property.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, explain what, what that is and what it extends to. So the Castle Doctrine is not a specific statute. It's not actually written into law. But it's a legal doctrine that came over with all of our forebears from France and from England in the common law. And it says that you are the king or the queen, or as my wife would tell me, I'm the court jester right, of my castle. And you can protect your castle when the enemy invades. So the legal doctrine backs up against and supports Georgia's stand your ground law. Georgia does have a codified stand your ground law. So it's written in the law that says if you're justified in the use of force, you don't have to seek an avenue of retreat. You can stand right where you are, plant your two feet on the ground, protect yourself, protect your family by the use of deadly force if necessary. So the Castle Doctrine works hand in glove with Georgia's stand your ground law. And it says, look, Bad guys come into your home, stand your ground, protect your family, protect your life. That's sort of how the castle doctrine works.
1: How do you respond to those who say that
0: the stand your ground concept goes too far? Those are probably people who've never had to protect what they hold dear. You know, um, I think everything is a hypothetical unless and until – you've had to use force or deadly force to protect your life or the life and limb of someone that 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 you love or someone that you know. And in Georgia, it doesn't have to be someone that you love or that you know. You don't have to know that person to protect them. So I think my response would be there's not enough context for anyone to really understand that unless they've had to do it. There's actually a case in Georgia that says you can't just shoot a trespasser. Um A lot of it depends on your interaction. If this fella, let's say it's your neighbor and your neighbor's upset because your kid's baseball is always landing in his yard and it damages his lawn. He's standing out in your front yard and he's giving you the business, shaking the fist, yelling at you, calling you everything but a child of God. Right? He's a trespasser and you can ask him to leave. And if he doesn't leave, you can call the police. If he attempts to strike you or to damage your property, you can use force kicking, punching, slapping, biting, to protect yourself. But you can't just shoot a trespasser. There has to be that extra element, that, that X factor that takes it from just a trespass into a, a situation where your life or the life of another person is threatened. If he's in your yard, I think the best you could do at that point, call police. If he walks up your yard, ac- across the threshold of you, pushes the door open and, and threatens you, Now he's inside your home. He's threatening you. He's threatening your family. So everything is a question of degree there. And the Castle Doctrine, while it's a
1: concept,
0: extends to motor vehicles, places of business. Is that correct? Absolutely. Absolutely. Any place... Well, I can't say any place where you would find yourself. That's more along the lines of protection of self or others. The castle doctrine would extend to those places that we give significance to as your habitation. And in Georgia, we call your home, your car, and your place of business your habitation. The law gives those places special protection. There are certain things that you can do there that perhaps you may not be able to do other places.
1: (laughs) What have been some of the cases that you've worked on as a lawyer where someone
0: has has used a firearm to protect themselves? I'm allowed to tell your listeners that we have had a Law Shield member whose husband used deadly force, uh, this has been three years ago now, to protect both himself and his wife. Dead of the night, uh, they're mid-50s, early 60s, he's up late, can't sleep, watching TV, the router goes out. He goes to reset the router. He's walking past their second floor bathroom and sees a light in the bathroom, runs and grabs his pistol, which is in the nightstand, comes back. There's a man crawling into his second floor bathroom. One shot to the head. He kills the man instantly. It's happened in Gwinnett County. Um, As luck would have it, my wife, I can tell you the day, it was July 29th. My wife and I not only were on our anniversary vacation, we were out of the country. We were in the Cayman Islands, uh, but I had my phone turned on. The phone rang. It was Law Shield. We need help immediately. I was lucky enough to be able to get in touch with my partner. Um, I got in touch with the police. And even from the beginning, that County Police were telling us, Mr. Kilgo, there's no problem here. Uh, we know this gentleman was trying to get into your client's home. Uh, They did the right thing. You know, the husband protected the wife and himself and the dog and the cat. And they called 911 and we got there and the the fellow was deceased. He was laying on the roof. Uh, They pulled security camera footage from the home. Three gentlemen had spent the better part of an hour circling the home, trying every window and every door and finally went into the pool house and it's not a big house by any stretch of the means. It was a small shed next to their pool, right? Uh, and pulled out a ladder to get onto the second floor balcony, where they could then get into the to the uh, uh, bathroom. And police think the reason they were in there is because they just bought a new 65 inch television to watch the Olympics and put the box out on the corner to have it picked up. And and this kid lived in their neighborhood. He lived less than a mile from them in the very same neighborhood. Saw the box, thought – knew the the couple were a little older, didn't think they could protect themselves. Tried to crawl in the bathroom, and he was shot and killed for his trouble. And what happened to the property owner in that situation? Uh, They were taken down to uh, Gwinnett County's main police headquarters. I was able to get in touch with them there. I talked to to the police officer who was interrogating him. I said, look, no more questions. I'm the attorney. He said, look, don't worry. They've only really given us just the most basic info. Uh, we're only keeping them here so we can remove the body and clean the house. Uh, they, the police drove them back. The police respected their wishes and mind that no other statements be given. I met with them two days later when I returned uh, from my trip. Um, ultimately, we were given a letter from the DA that indicated that no charges would be filed. It took almost a year to get that. I think it was 10 months before the DA finally wrapped up their investigation. The police investigation was wrapped up virtually instantaneously. But as you know, Ken, it's not the police that make the decision. It's the district attorney. And I have to applaud the Gwinnett County DA's office. They were very diligent. They interviewed a lot of witnesses. I mean, to the extent that there were witnesses, most of them were police officers. They made the right decision, and they took their time. But that nine months, that 10 months took a toll on my client and on his family. Have there been some less clear cases for you? Uh, there, there have been. There are some pending even now, unfortunately, that I can't talk about. Uh, there's never a bright line rule. As I tell people, there's not a line running through the middle of your foyer at home or right through your front window that says, if the bad guy crosses this line, he's fair game. But if he stays on the other side of the line, well, you can't do anything. I've represented many individuals with U.S. Law Shield successfully uh, where the facts were just unusual enough that it caused the prosecutor to take a moment and give us an opportunity to present what we thought were the real issues. But anytime that we do that, as I've said before, you know, if if you're attempting to prove your innocence rather than fighting their evidence, it can take on significant implications for the client. So we've had situations, and I wish I could be more specific, where we've had to worry about that. But luckily, we've, we've always been able to do the best that we could for our clients.
1: How common is this in Georgia? And, and let me expand the question a little bit. How, how often are gun owners
0: involved in protecting themselves uh, in, in situations like this? If you expand your definition of protection – To something as simple as showing the bad guy that you have a firearm, it happens all the time. As part of my job with Law Shield, I take emergency calls and everyday, average, ordinary people calls where they're saying, look, I was I was in a road rage incident last week, and the guy got out of his car, and I didn't point my gun at him, but I had to show him that I had one and I knew how to use it. Well, did you call police after that? Oh, yeah, I, I was the first one to call police, which, and especially in road ridge situations, I tell people that's probably one of the most important things. You have to be careful what you tell the police because everything's being recorded. But at the same time, you have to make sure that you report, I've been the victim of a crime. Please send police assistance and then contact your attorney so that he can help you. And by and large, the, the members of Law Shield are already they're conscientious. They're law-abiding gun owners. They've all, well, I say all, for the most part, have had some training in the use of firearms. So they understand the significance of protecting yourself. But again, having that extra protection to make sure that you don't say or do anything that could jeopardize your future. So m- many say, I don't want to carry a gun. That's what police are for. We have uh,
1: a number of customers who come in who have had bad experiences and they're on the fence. What do you say to folks who who say that's what police are for?
0: I say when seconds count, police are only moments away. And that's a very common saying that I think a lot of people in this in, in this area use, but you know, you can't call the police if you're engaged in protecting yourself. You know, it, the police are there to assist, but they can't be everywhere all the time. And there are people out there who choose to go the extra mile and not rely on the government necessarily to protect them in the first instance. And that's what the Constitution grants us and has granted us since 1791. How does law enforcement view these situations? Differently. I think it depends on your background as a law enforcement officer, it depends on your training, it depends on your level of education, your experience. For the most part, police officers in metro Atlanta, all over the state of Georgia, very smart, very well-trained. I'd say 99.9% of them are. And all they want to do is they want to go out and do their job, protect people, and they get home to their families. There are a few bad apples, just as there are bad lawyers, just as there are bad people. But by and large, police officers understand that you have the right to protect yourself and don't necessarily want to infringe on that. They just have to react in the way that they've been trained when they see a, a firearm. So a lot of what we do is geared towards police-citizen encounters, for instance. You've been to some – you've taught, actually. You've spoken and taught at some of our seminars. So you know that we have both an attorney and a police officer at many of these, and the police officers will go through – and these are police officers who are actively serving all over Georgia. City of Atlanta police, Georgia State Patrol. These guys and and gals come in, and and they talk about police-citizen encounters. The proper things that you should say, maybe the things that you shouldn't say, You know, a lot of people don't understand. You don't have to in Georgia. You don't have to let anybody know you're carrying a firearm. You don't have to let a police officer know you don't have to present a weapons carry license. And if you ask 10 police officers, probably all 10 of them would say, if you've got a gun and you're legal, I don't care. I don't want to know. What do you do if a police officer does ask that question? Do you have a weapons license? That's a good question. You know, in Georgia, it's against the law for them to do that. If a police officer sees you in possession of a firearm, it is against the law for him or her just to stop you and ask you if you have a weapons carry license. In that scenario, what I tell people is, you know, if you're stopped, police officer walks up to the car. Sir, you've been accused of speeding. I'm going to give you a ticket. Do you have any weapons in the car? My response is, officer, there is nothing in this car that's going to harm you. And I'm happy to take a ticket. could be that simple. If they persist, well, you know, I, I don't know that I have to answer. Do I have to answer that? Are you accusing me of some type of crime? Maybe I should call my lawyer. And that's when you get out the card and you call U.S. Law school
1: Now, that seems like it could be a difficult situation for a police officer. See somebody carrying a gun and...
0: I would say that it's hard for anybody in that scenario. You know, if I see someone out carrying, it automatically raises my antenna. I have a weapons carry license. I don't carry all the time because I'm in court a lot of the time. And I know if I carry every single day, there's going to be a day when I forget been on the weekends when I go to the movies. Absolutely carry my firearm. And if someone were to accost me, I would say as respectfully as possible, look, I'm within my rights. I have a weapons carry license. I'm not harming anybody, but I can absolutely agree it would be hard for me as a police officer just to let that go. Therein lies the, the push and pull of our constitutional rights. Where, where can you carry a gun in Georgia? Virtually anywhere. That's the advantage of our laws is that uh, the general assembly has given back to us most of the rights that we were initially granted in 1791 when the bill of rights was ratified. That's so, that's the right year I think. Yeah, that's the right year. So let's assume you don't have a weapons carry. Without a weapons carry license, so long as you're eligible to carry, which means you're uh, for handguns you're above the age of 21, uh, you can possess a fire a, a handgun at the age of 18 and as you know you can purchase one in a private sale, but you still can't carry just anywhere. Uh, if you're eligible to possess a handgun, you can carry in your co- your home, your car, in your place of business. You can carry a handgun when it is unloaded and enclosed in a container in a case. Uh, let's see. You can carry in someone else's car so long as you're eligible to, to uh, have a license. And with long guns, rifles, and shotguns, You can possess those anywhere. You can carry them openly without a weapons carry license, and you only need to have them – you can carry them openly or concealed, and they only have to be carried openly when they're loaded. But you don't need a weapons carry license for those. Handguns are more restrictive, uh, but with a weapons carry license, you can carry public property, private property, a lot of government institutions. So long as it's a government building without law enforcement screening personnel, you can carry there. Georgia, you can carry in bars. You can carry in restaurants. You can carry in hospitals and movie theaters. If the owner or the person in legal control of the property asks you to leave, you must leave. If you don't, it's criminal trespass. But short of that, I don't even think that a sign is going to keep you out of most places in Georgia.
1: Any any further concerns about bars and and, and restaurants? I mean, obviously, bars would be a a place where some might be surprised that you're allowed to carry.
0: Right. Well, and – understandably, I was surprised the first time I heard that. Georgia treats carrying and drinking about the same as drinking and driving. As a matter of fact, if you looked at the statute about shooting under the influence, it follows and tracks the language of DUI very closely. In Georgia, so long as you have a weapons carry license, you can carry into public places like bars and restaurants. There's no restriction about drinking while you're carrying a firearm. The only real restriction is that you cannot shoot under the influence. If any alcohol makes you a less safe or less uh, able shooter, then you could be accused of that misdemeanor. However, there is an exception. Even if you're just toenail drunk and you use that firearm to protect yourself, there's an exception built into that law for self-protection, even if you've been drinking.
1: There's a concern among many in our country that, that having a gun in your home is dangerous because it's likely to be used by a loved one. Um, it's likely to be u- hurt a loved one. Mm-hmm. Uh, wh- what advice do you have for those who, who have that
0: concern? Training. Training for everyone. I'll tell you, I have a nine-year-old and a 13-year-old, and both have been trained in the use of firearms, including handguns and long guns. Uh, explain to your children and to your loved ones that Guns are tools; they're not to be feared, but to be treated with respect. And I think that's the first most important thing. In places like Stoddard, you can go and get fantastic training, even for children, about the proper use and safe, protect, uh, safe use of firearms. Um, when you don't have a an, an immediate need for that firearm, keep a lock on it. You know, I, I myself, when I started as a lawyer for U.S. Law Shield, I had I think three guns in the house. Honestly, I can't tell you how many I have now. It seems like every time I come down here, I buy one from you. Uh, Keep them in a safe place. Uh, Treat them like you would any very special property. Put them in a safe. Put a lock on it when you're not using it. Uh, Know your firearm. Know what your limitations are in using that firearm. I'll get very technical here for a minute. Some folks carry every day. and When they do, they carry one with with a round in the chamber. Some folks carry what they call Israeli style without a round in the chamber. Uh, I've actually been taught in the past five years how to carry in that fashion. And I specifically chose that because I do have two young boys, two young boys, albeit who have been trained with in the protection of firearms and never to touch one without a, an adult being present. But at the same time, accidents happen. The first most important thing is protect yourself, protect your family, control the threat. That's what we call it. If someone's entered your home, do nothing else unless you know fully that you protected yourself. If you've put the bad guy in a bad position in the kitchen, don't go over and try and resuscitate him. Don't touch him. He, as my grandfather would say, he could be playing possum, right? Once you've protected yourself, call 911. Tell police who you are. Tell them where you are. Tell them you've been the victim of a crime and ask them to send police assistance. Then hang up the phone. It's not against the law to hang up on 911. Now they're trained to keep you on the phone. And that's because everything is being recorded. At this point, they know there's a threat. They know they need to help. Hang up the phone. Return the firearm to safekeeping, keeping in mind rule number one, which is control the threat. And I don't mean throwing it in the pond, you know, putting it back in the safe and locking the safe and not giving anyone access to it. Just clear the firearm, put it somewhere it can be seen. Police are on their way. They know that you've used a firearm potentially. Whatever they have is probably bigger than what you have just used, because their first important goal is to get home that night to their families. Call nine one one. Once you've done that, you've returned the firearm and safekeeping. Call your attorney. If you have your, if you have an attorney, if you have a good attorney, he or she will be on his way or her way to meet with you. If you don't, call Law Shield. You may have rights,
1: um, but you're likely to go to court. Explain what happens. So. You've, you've called your attorney at that mm-hmm. point.
0: You've, you've, you've called your attorney. Police have said, well, you know, you need to come with us. That's okay. Go with them. Your attorney will go where you go. Uh, stand on your rights. Tell them, look, I, I've been the victim of a crime. I'm traumatized. My attorney will be here soon. I will only speak to you after I have spoken to my attorney. The the law, Miranda says, the case itself, Miranda versus Arizona, says – If you invoke your rights, those rights must be scrupulously honored. Those are the words that the Supreme Court uses there. So once you say those magic words, they can't question you again, but they can take you with them. Go with them. Wait for your lawyer. When your lawyer gets there, speak only to your attorney. Follow your attorney's direction. There are ways that you can carry in your car, at your employer's, uh, at your your place of business, but there are certain rules you have to follow. Everything's rule-based. And if you're going to carry a firearm, you got to know the rules. Thank you very much for spending the time to do this with me today. Absolutely, glad to be. Thanks again.
1: If you are interested in learning more about U.S. Law Shield or to join, visit uslawshield.com and use the promo code Stoddards for two free months for an annual membership, or to lock in your rate for a monthly membership before rates increase. This is Ken Bay. Thanks for listening to this episode of beyond the bullet points.